0: Hey, everybody. As you have noticed, the whole world has gone almost 100% digital since the pandemic. And while I do miss performing live shows in front of an audience, it has allowed me more opportunities to connect with other amazing artists, some of which are thousands of miles away. A few months ago, I was invited to the Bay Area Book Festival to do a virtual conversation with another fellow artist all the way in Oakland. That artist was fantastic, Negrito. Prior to the meeting, I listened to a few of his tracks like Plastic Hamburgers and Chocolate Samurai, and his lyrics and sound just resonated with me. At that moment, I knew that this guy was special. Needless to say, we hit it off, and it's only right that we bring him on this show. Fantastic Negrito has won multiple Grammys and has traveled the world sharing his amazing life story and his signature sound, something he calls Black Roots Music. He's an amazing storyteller, and you're going to love this guy. As you know, I'm Jason Diakite here with my co host, Marcus Samuelson, on the transatlantic bridge between Harlem, USA, and Stockholm, Sweden. This moment starting in three, two, one. Boom. Hold on, Xavier. I just want to make sure that Marcus has got it. I, I'm I love here. the energy, though. Listen,
1: <laughs> if you're a chef and you're in the presence of not one,
0: but Two artists, you know what you do? Just shut up and cook, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So we'll just dive in. Fantastic negrito. Welcome. Tell us, man. Let us know anyway, where you man, are. I'm uh I you know, I do my I call
2: them my war dances. I got all kinds of dances mm-hmm. coming, yes. you know, being an African, a real African, yeah. here in West yes, Oakland. Yes, and sir. I want to announce to y'all, my brothers, this morning, that Fantastic Negrito for the third album in a row. Nominated for a Grammy again as Muhammad
1: a- I saw that. Exclusive. I saw
2: that. And I want to tell you, like Muhammad Ali said, man. I don't know if you watched Muhammad Ali. Remember when he said, I told you I was the greatest of all
1: time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am so happy for you. And, Yo, uh, you know, yeah. coming off that win of 2019. So that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is like, this That's is, beautiful. well,
2: you know, I've won. This is my third in, in a row. So it's, it's I think it's mm. unprecedented. So how does that make you feel? It makes me feel really happy for the people that help me. It's for my mm-hmm. team. It's for my soldiers out there. You know what I mean? It's like we got to always give the respect to people that help us get there. When people always say I'm, I'm self-made, I'm like, oh, no, you're not. You just don't give credit. out. So I just love all the people.
3: <laughs>
1: That's all people put up with your ass you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> can I, can I, can i ask you about how was your father's restaurant in harlem because obviously i thought i was cool with We're opening going a restaurant back. in harlem We're going back, but but favor. but but your dad beat me by 25 30 years tell me about his restaurant probably 50 years so let me tell yeah. you
2: my father number 1 was probably the greatest hustler ever he was born in he was born in 1905 wow he had me when he was 63 Mm-hmm. My mother was 30. Mm-hmm. That brother had game. So, yes. <laughs> so and and this and I'm the eighth of I'm the eighth of fourteen.
0: So he kept on going after 63. He, he's oh, like, he kept why is right? he he's kept like, going. He's like we
2: watching TV, turn that TV off, girl. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So anyway, so listen. So I want to say that. So my father and he got in New York and in like the 50s, he opened up a, a restaurant, a cafe, right in the West Village. And he was running mm. with all the jazz cats, you know? All these mm. people. I grew up, like, you know, talking to Dizzy Gillespie and Max Roach. Like, I was able to pump heads with them because they all knew my dad. So then my dad moved to New England with the same concept. He called it East African cuisine. So, I yes, mean, what, yes, yes. how do I translate that? In the mm. 70s, let's fool white people because they don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we, and we love all those white people that supported us, but they didn't know. My father was serving couscous. Mm. Samosa, fried bananas, peanut soup. So he was serving the whole diaspora. Yes. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. But was he born in Somalia or was his, his father in turn or his parents in turn well, came out of there? As I said, my
2: father was probably the greatest hustler ever. So I didn't even know that much. When I found out, I didn't know that there was some Caribbean in there, too. Because my mm. father would always, when we are growing up, you are an African. You were an African. Beautiful. You'd be proud to be that. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm an African. The kids are throwing <laughs> rocks at me. The black kids don't like me and the white kids don't like me. The white kids knew yeah. no. the white kids are like, nigga. That's what you yeah, are. Me. No matter if you from East Africa, <laughs> West Africa, Caribbean. It's
0: all the same. Yeah. They're not distinguishing.
2: It's the know. black folks. You know, we always confuse like, are you one of us and then all that, you know?
1: But you, do you, did you grow a Muslim in your household? Because I'm oh. obviously Som- Somali and Then, it has to be a Muslim guy. A oh,
2: hardcore right? Muslim. I, sure. I, I ran away when I was 12. It was so Muslim. It was too much Muslim for me. Mm. So, yeah, he was hardcore. He didn't even sell alcohol. I was like, damn, yes. when I when I first opened my first illegal nightclubs in Los Angeles, and then I was like, oh, I'm making all my money off the liquor.
1: Stop, stop. Mm. You can't just do that intersection. Like, stop. It's like, <laughs> like, when, we were in Harlem, and now you have yeah, an man. illegal club in L.A.? Yeah. Like, Tell us how did that tell us about and you that ran trail. away
0: when you were 12, also. I mean, that's it, that's you know, the courage. And I, I, this, I
1: ran away when I was 12 because
0: we moved to Oakland, mm-hmm. and then I met. Oh.
1: It,
2: I wasn't called nigger like in Massachusetts, it was like, What's up, nigger? I was like, Oh,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I was like, This is mm-hmm. interesting. You black, you black people, yeah. y'all interesting. And mm-hmm. so I had to get initiated into the being black. Like, they're like, Man, you they used to call me an African booty scratcher. Oh, they're like they're like you. You eat snakes, and so I came to Oakland and I ran away because I was like I didn't want to live under a religious kind of tyrant like yeah. my father, and I just hit the streets. So I met and I never saw my dad again, unfortunately.
1: But Oakland, going from the East Coast to Oakland, I mean, Oakland also at that time was incredible in terms of music, right? When did music hit you? When did you be said like you know what this is an escape for me? Well, music hit me as soon as I heard like this African-American music, this street
2: music. Because my father was like, no jazz, no Harry Belafonte, and Afule la Bulela and all this African yeah. music. And then I heard street music, and look, we don't, it's all African. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm like, oh, boom, 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 boom. And I'm hearing Too Short, and I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm not coming back home. <laughs> I'm smoking some weed yeah. at 12. I'm like,
0: Because we're talking, we're talking 1980. I'm
2: old. <laughs>
0: So tell me, so Xavier, tell me what what uh, happened in, I think it was 1982 that I happened to know that kind of uh, set you on the path that you're still on.
2: When you're the eighth of 14 kids, I never got affection or attention from my mom or my dad. So I was going to have a problem with beautiful women, which I still have a problem with. And I had a problem with, look at me. And so mm-hmm. I used to be like that, but I was in the hood. I was in West Oakland and people would be like... <laughs> Like, look at this clown, you know, laughing. And then one day I saw an album with a a, a black brother in a trench coat with a bikini briefs on. And I'm like, and he has girlfriends? I said, Mm -hmm. this dude has girls? I was like, oh, Prince. And so that became like one of my earliest influences. I thought if this brother's doing it and he has girlfriends, well, I'm going to do it too. I ain't wearing the bikini briefs, (laughs) but it gave me a, a path to go on.
1: You know, there is a a session there that I always wanted to be a fly on the wall. I mean, those early times days, right? You know, Alexander O'Neill is in the band. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis is in the band. And Jerome is not even in the band yet. And, uh, you know, in Minneapolis, like, he was just 18, 19 years old and doing Dirty Minds, uh, working on 1999, and then eventually it becomes Purple Rain and the world knows. But, you know, Prince did that famous comp. He opened for Rolling Stones in San Francisco and got whiskey bottles, got bottles thrown at him. That was and in so- L.A. accident. So you think about Prince, or you think about the success. You know, he hadn't had any mainstream hits until his fifth Album. That's true. And I always think about that because when people want stuff fast, right? But it wasn't even about the success of the outside hits. It was him becoming fully Prince and allowing himself to be different and finding and searching. And I say, today's day and age, there wouldn't have been Prince because the label would have needed that hit right away. Think I'm yes. an incredible talent that we always admire, the George oh. Clintons, the Sly and the Family Stones. People who were not right away hit makers, they were just, you know. Well, you you like,
0: listen to Prince on his, you know, on the For You album, and then on the mm. the album that hit you, which must have been what Dirty Mind. Dirty album. Mind. And Dirty then your to mind. Purple. Dirty your mind. And that, <laughs> that shit and was crazy. That rain, blew my mind. That Purple Rain. He and, and So from for you to Dirty Mind and Purple Rain, he's already gone through this metamorphosis and transformation, and he's finding different sounds and mastering all of them at the same time. You know
2: what I take it as? Is
0: I think culturally,
2: where we were as a society, I think back then, even the industry was like people thought long term. I think people think if even with housing, with fashion, with food, mm. with education, I think people thought long term how to invest mm. and get something back. And now... It's like give it to me now. And so now yeah. we become really dumbed down. We become sorry, stupider. And um, mm-hmm. I think we have a lot so of work to
0: do in throwaway this throwaway culture. We don't we don't build to last anymore, we build to use and then throw out and then buy a new one, you know.
1: No, but Jason, even you, I love the fact that you didn't have your biggest commercial success. Until the fourth, fifth album in, but you Mm -hmm. kept on going, you kept on searching, and people always want that quick success. I mean, do you think, Jason, that you could have built Timbuktu or Dam in this day and age when you have the pressure of make it making a hit right away? Well, first of all, I I, I
0: tour with I tour with a band of eight musicians plus myself, and you know, so that no, that would not have been possible. You Mm -hmm. know, even back then when I. When I said that I want to tour with this funk band, it's an eight-piece band plus yeah. myself, and th- at that that time I had a backup rapper and a DJ, so there were eleven of us. Wow. And the book, the booking agent already said, "Well, you know, you know, you can't command that type of money to to sustain that many people." But I decided to do it anyway, and you know, we managed to break through. You know, but uh, Xavier,
1: what what gave? What's the What was the road for you? Because both you and Jason clearly had your path. That wasn't, you know, being an artist means that you're not going to have a linear path. I mean, I would love, Jason, what gave you the courage and Xavier, what gave you the courage to just go out and do it?
2: Well, for me, like after I I ran away, I ended up in foster care. And then I got Mm -hmm. adopted by an amazing family um, when I was about 14 years old. And we what two, city are you in? So that? we
1: two adopted against one over oh, here, right? Yeah. So we're taking over, <laughs> Jason. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and so what's, what city did you end up then, Xavier?
2: Well, I was still in the Bay Area. I was in Oakland. So I was in like El Sobrante, which is just, I used to catch the bus over here. Because you weren't going to keep me out of the Bay Area, Oakland, Berkeley. This was yeah. just amazing. So I went like this. Went, dreamed of it, got a big record deal actually with Prince's manager, that's the people. And then mm-hmm. I lost that, I lost my hand, as you can see my hand mm-hmm. in my accident. Mm-hmm. Spent three weeks in a coma, came out, oh. went into the underground, opened up illegal legal clubs. Then I quit and I thought it was over and I sold every wow. instrument that I had. What? Yeah, I quit. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I quit for five years and I, and I said, I'm gonna either just try and start a cult, I don't know, become a polygamist, <laughs> Art galleries. I want to be. I. I, I music. It, the industry had killed me. What you're talking about, Marcus? They killed me. They were like this. <laughs> Where's you? Don't have a hit. We hate you. But can I ask you? Was that? Uh, was it Allen?
1: Who was the Prince Manu? Was it Allen then, or who? Was no, Prince his manager. Man-
2: Man- I mean, I'm talking about the original ones like Caballo, oh. Rafalo. That was in 1990. I got wow. signed by those guys.
0: You know, so you've obviously gone through several different iterations of your artistic self before right. you land on this path that you're on now as Fantastic Negrito and it, you know, I'm just so happy for the success that you're that you're experiencing right now. Third album in the row of, in a row Grammy nominated. You have what? You've already won two, right? Won two, yeah. Yeah, you already got two, you know, two of them at home. Uh but what what different you know, sounds, what different artistic uh, mm-hmm. uh, visions have you gone through to get to where you are today? Well, first of all, what I did is I stopped asking for permission.
2: And mm-hmm. I'm always mm-hmm. telling black folks, wow. I'm like, you no, know what we need to stop doing? Let's stop asking for permission.
1: Love, you know, that. Like we, Love that. Like we're
2: on punishment or some shit, you know? So what I did mm-hmm. is that. So I took my guitar, went out into the streets, and I just started playing for people. And I was in Berkeley, East Oakland, San Francisco, train station. I wasn't going home. I was about to mm-hmm. talk to my people, and I decided when I got th- when I did make the record, and I got there, and they're like, oh, you got nominated. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And then who else? You don't have a label? No. Neither does Chance the Rapper. Let's see if y'all make history. Mm-hmm. We both made history. So the That's thing beautiful. is, the main thing for me is I was busking on the street. I stopped asking people for permission. Then NPR recognized me, and then it was all history. And I changed my sound on each record now. I've changed it, man. I'm like, I am I call my music Black Roots music.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And wh- which I love, by the way. I love that.
2: And guess that, what? You that, do it too. I listen to you on YouTube. Mm-hmm. You sound phenomenal, brother, by the way. Thank you,
0: brother.
1: So, so Xavier, I have to yeah. ask you, you're in the Bay in the 80s and the 90s. So you must have been around. Did you ever uh, do sessions or run into Rafael Sadiq then? Because he must have been Right around the corner from you, right? Well, Raphael,
2: he left early. Like he was there. I remember Raphael before they were Tony, Tony, Tony. Yeah. They were just three mm-hmm. dudes, mm-hmm. you know. It, it wasn't mm-hmm. actually three; it was about eight of them. But anyway, that's another story. So yeah, and I, mm-hmm. I, I'm friends with all those guys now, and I run into them. But back then, not really. Didn't you know? They were like over here. I was, I was still, I was a weirdo. I was an outcast to mm-hmm. people, you know.
1: Thank God, thank God. But when I when I hear you and I see you and I hear you for me, it's I look at Sly and Family Stone must have been an influence, right? Prince, of course, right? It's mm. original. It's
2: very, very original. Funkadelic. Yeah. Yes. Hey, and punk music yeah. and hip-hop, like anything that was pushing the boundary, that's what that fishbone... I was yeah. playing at Afro-punk festivals in New York City when it was 10 people in a basement. I've got the videotapes. It. Now it's nice. one of the biggest festivals in the world, but I was part of all those movements, and I was just a part of anything where... We were going to be the tribe with love in our hearts. Mm-hmm. We were going to people like we were different and we were about, and just like, I know y'all stories, y'all are different.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's what brings us three together right here. Yes. We're all very different, yes. but we're the same. So you're asking, you're telling us not ask for permission, right? And celebrate our, our uniqueness. That's, yes. a, that's, that's, that's That is really powerful. You know, it I is. remember when... Yes. When I remember watching one of the most incredible documentaries about a band called Death, you know, the original punk band from Detroit. And, you know, I wish every, not just black people, I want want people to watch that doc because it talks about go your own way, be
0: original. Yeah, that's one thing in the creative, I can speak to the musical space today or in hip hop culture. Mm -hmm. Originality really is lacking. I mean, even in the early 90s, you had, you know, some groups wanted to go ahead and be PM Dawn. Somebody else wanted to be Arrested Development. Somebody was talking about the Daisy Age and they called themselves De La Soul. But then you also had your gang stars, your Eric B. and Rakim, your E4A short. Like, there was so much uh, you know the 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 richness of it all but today it just i don't know if it's a, a testament to that we're getting older but when no, i look yeah. at it it really feels like the original uh, the it's just much more conform and and I'm going to tell you why. It's so so monetized today that originality doesn't pay off in the same way. And I guess that's why people aren't exploring it. I don't know.
2: Well, I think this, when corporations come in, sorry, I hate to be that guy. They only love money. They don't like music. Listen, Mm -hmm. capitalism, and we're all part capitalism. I get it. But Mm -hmm. it's only loyal to capitalism. Capitalism Mm -hmm. is not loyal to arts. It's not loyal to your feelings. It's not loyal to community. It's loyal to capital. And so that's what we,
1: yeah. r- people have accepted that. But we got you. We got you. Listen, listen, listen. <laughs> this will be, you,
0: Xavier. This will yeah. be
1: the only time when I will check a Jason music reference. This will be the only time. When we need to document it. You forgot. Okay. You forgot a tribe called Quest, man.
0: Of course. Come on, man. Jason. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I was no, waiting. I never, you know. Where's my tribe though? <laughs> I was like, I'm right here.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. No, no, no. The tribe, absolutely. I never forget Tribe Called Quest. But just speaking, but just speaking on the kind of the flora, the the you know what the what the world of hip hop looked in the early looked like in the early nineties when there were so many, there were way fewer MCs. Like today, there are millions of MCs around the world. Then there were like what you know two hundred MCs, and they were all in the United States or two thousand or something. And, And within that, you had this kind of uh, just diversity of ideas and styles and and fashion, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, a- a- another person who comes to mind, Xavier, especially when I see you today with that beautiful uh, royal blue top hat that you're wearing, is, of course, I would put him at, you know, if not the top of my lists of greatest of all time rappers, he's right up there, uh, Andre mm-hmm. 3000. Oh, man.
2: Oh, hey, wow. man, I just... Like, yeah, let, me, let, me, let me just say on that, I just, let me tell you, uh, I'm doing a lot of exclusives on here. So I mm-hmm. just did, <laughs> I just remade Hey Ya in a very weird way. Oh, wow, I love beautiful. beautiful, beautiful. I made it like acoustic, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah, he's one of my greatest inspirations. Hey, I think today, let's give a shout out to Kendrick Lamar.
0: Yes. Oh yeah, every day.
2: Every time you listen to his albums, you feel like, wow, yeah. this brother's trying to be great. He ain't trying mm-hmm. to be like I want to make hits. I want to be famous because most people want to be famous now. He wants to be mm-hmm. great, and that's one artist that I, in the modern era, that I give a, I, me personally, I give some respect. Yeah.
1: I got to I got to throw my I got to throw a little bit in Jason here. He's underselling himself because one of the things <laughs> that Jason did. No, but this is important in terms of originality. Jason obviously would have been Sweden's. By far, best English speaking rapper because English is his first language, right? But he chose to rap in Swedish. And not only did he stay in the Swedish lane, he stayed with a very specific accent. And I just think that that then opened up the door. So today, when you think about pop music in Sweden, it is hip hop, right? And Jason built that. Jason was part of a generation that built that. But all the other rappers yeah, yeah. trying to build it from a Stockholm uh, dialect, Jason's like, forget that. He stuck to his, you know, very specific Scorner dialect. And I, that is, that, that, that is so beyond I, I'm, music. I'm
0: from the, Xavier, I'm from the south of Sweden. I know you've been, I think you've been to my neck of the woods. I've been to uh, Sweden Maomo. a couple of times. I, I enjoyed it. Right. Yeah, I know you went to Stockholm and Gothenburg, but did you ever get to the south around Malmo, really close to Copenhagen? I know I played Copenhagen, which I love, too. I, mm. I- so so I'm, I'm right across the water where, at the southern end of Sweden, and uh, I speak in a very southern dialect in Swedish, which is, you know, comparable to the southern dialect of, of, uh, uh, in the United in the States. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, now I live in Stockholm and up here, you know, a lot of times people say they can't understand what people from the South are saying because it's, you know, the dialect is so thick, but it's a, it's really a perfect dialect for, for all types of music. So Mm -hmm. to me, it was never a choice. I I just, I did, I just did me basically. Um, Yeah. It was never really a choice. This is how I speak. This is how I'm going to sound on record.
2: Authenticity. When I heard you, it was very,
0: Mm. Easy for me to listen to, too. It flowed
2: the way you were flowing, your flow enunciation. It was very easy.
1: Xavier, can Thank I ask you, brother. in terms of you left at 12 when you started to basically um, work in the street pharmacy game or hustling, is there anything from that culture that helps you to be a musician? What did you learn from those dark, you know, from those years, because life is about a bunch of ups and downs, that you bring with you today as an artist, as a person?
2: I learned accountability and trust. Because mm-hmm. when you're a kid on the streets at 12, I have an 11 year old now and that's terrifying. But when you're at that age that um, you know you're be're going to have a lot of challenges and there's a lot of predators.
4: Mm-hmm. But I
2: learned too like you know you make forgiving people. Yeah, that's huge because oh. I made a lot of mistakes out there. I did really bad things. I helped destroy the communities that I live yeah. in now, and now I try to rebuild them. I have a farm that I call Revolution Plantation.
1: Yes. Uh-huh.
2: Everyone uh-huh. doesn't like that name, but I always tell them when they don't like it, it's not about them. No, no, no. It's about something else. So I learned, like all the devious, horrible things that I did then, that I can be forgiven as a child, and now I have the opportunity to to do something amazing and powerful. And so I, I can use that background to talk to my eleven-year-old. And over the weekend, we had five and six-year-olds coming and planting garlic and planting and I- planting. Uh-huh. Onions and we, you know, as black folks, we gotta get back to what traumatized us. What traumatizes mm-hmm. us? That's soil. So I'm about mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. getting back to what traumatized you and confronting it and making it work to empower you. That's what I learned from uh my hustling street life.
0: But Would- but also, you know, what's What we also forget is that one of the reasons that we were brought, our ancestors were brought from Africa in the first place was our expert knowledge on farming, agriculture, and the soil. So not only were we, not only were our ancestors forced to work for free and in bondage, but it was also because of their expertise that that agriculture flourished in the way that it did. So basically, you're bringing people back to to roots, you know, even though... Those those roots come with a lot of pain. But it's healing. I think I, I think putting your hands in dirt is healing. And just like putting your hands on a guitar, I'm sure, you know, yeah. is healing. And right. then watching them get that food at the end and then cooking. And my
2: 11 year old is mm. a cook now during the pandemic. Mm. He's turning to his, look out, Marcus, he's coming for you.
0: Yeah,
1: that's good. I hope so. <laughs> that's what. That's exactly what we need. The rice, the rice is but, here. But
0: but take it back. I mean, Xavier, when you were twelve, you left. You know, you left home. Like, yeah. how do you see the difference in where your eleven year old is at today and where you were at when you were twelve? I mean, he's a baby. You know, one. I give credit to my dad. All that
2: old school Africanism. In a very strange way, when I ran away at twelve, I was really prepared to meet a lot of those challenges because of the values and that he instilled in me. And I, I got to give him credit. He's a villain to a lot of people in my family, but I give him credit. He gave, man, when I was about to shoot an um, Aaron in my arm, I stopped. I remember I was going to smoke PCP. I was all this stuff because you're 12, and people are like, try this, try this. And I remember I didn't do that stuff because hmm. I heard that old man with that accent. These people, they were turning into nothing. You don't not. I heard it. When the police yeah. stop you, this yeah. is the main thing that I teach my son and other young black kids that come onto my farm. Here's my father's voice. When the police stop you, you act like you have sense. You say, yes, sir, they will blow your brains out. I, it's in my brain with that accent. And so I'm able mm-hmm. to give these young black kids tools. When the police stop mm-hmm. you in America,
5: hey, you need tools.
0: have the streets of Oakland changed since you were I mean or what in which way have they changed the way you see it
2: well I think that ch- everything changes let's just say that of everything course. changes yeah. so I think the street life the hustling life is definitely different I think there's a lower IQ of street nods. now the IQ is much lower and I think we talked about that in music I think the IQ is lower I think across the board the IQ is lower they've dumbed everybody down I'm not smart enough to tell you why they've done it, but I think that's we look at who we have in the White House and we look at where we are. I think it's a reflection of the society. The music is a reflection of the culture. The food is a reflection of the culture. These are just reflections back at us, so then we all have a platform, all three of us, so we have the opportunity to do something. We can repeat the same old lies yeah, make us feel right. Try to escape gotta
4: fight
1: I have to ask you something like so you fun. when you are in the middle of a lot of kids like that right whether an older brother or sister who actually raised you uh, you haven't talked Tell us a little bit about your mother or that old, older, younger brother, sister. And say, my wife is in the middle of, she's one of 12 and she's a middle child too. So she always had wow. the first responsibility of the, the two older sister and brother that were right above her. Those are really the people that raised her. How was it in your family?
2: Well, thank you. And, and I have a sister who lives in the West Village now and her name is Jamila. And let me yes. give a big shout out to Jamila. Because Jamila was
0: big up Jamila,
2: man. I love Jamila so much. Um, I don't know if I tell her enough, but she basically raised me because you can't. This is too many kids. And um, so I have that in common with your wife is that, yeah, I had my my Jamila. You had to answer to Jamila. I got my
1: I got my loves and hugs and spankings from Jamila. (laughs) Nice. And like, don't forget that. What did the family like on on we're going into a big holiday right now? Right? So what what was Thanksgiving circa 1981 at your house? It was people everywhere. Did you go away? Did you guys celebrate it?
2: What was it like? Well, in my house, my dad, he didn't play that. There were no American <laughs> holidays. He's like, he's like, they killed the Indians. This is foolishness, this Thanksgiving. <laughs> So my dad wasn't playing that. We didn't have Thanksgiving. We didn't have a Christmas. He didn't take a lot of shit, your dad. What was his name? No, he didn't take no shit.
0: I wasn't the only mm-hmm. kid kicked out. Man, he kicked everybody out. I mean, it's kind of... <laughs> but, 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 but tell us a bit, Xavier, tell us a bit about your mom. Like, yeah. how was, you know, how's your relationship with your mom? She was obviously younger than your dad, so she must have lived a few years yeah. longer. Or, or Tell us a bit about that.
2: She's still alive now. And she, my mom's in oh, New York. That's beautiful. My mom's yeah, from yeah, Brooklyn. Cause all my Southern oh. relatives, they came to New York from the country, rural Virginia. They came to Harlem. You know what I mean? Harlem and Brooklyn. That's where all my uh, relatives now are in New York. So my mom was this very intelligent, only child. Well, I think your yeah, only child. She had one other sibling that they didn't really talk to or whatever. And she was smart. And you know, she used to. She kept coming by my father's little cafe. You know, a little young girl kept coming by. She was interested in Islam. And my dad, you no, know, that's a, boom. I'm not saying he was a lion and he was, and she was a bill deer. And, you know, you know, know what happens? You know, she got, she got eaten up. One thing yeah. my father taught me, this old African man taught me this you can never repay your mother. She holds yeah. you for nine months yeah. and you can't repay that. I mean, Respect. he brainwashed me a lot. So, no, he's right. I love my mother for that. And, um, hey, listen, listen. She did the best that she yeah. could with what she had. There you go. It's like, there I, you I can't go. judge her. I can't judge my father.
1: Well, somebody that I'm judging and I think is completely much better cooked than her son is Miss Elaine Bosack, Because <laughs> Jason's mom is emailing me recipes left and right now. And Jason's mom makes this. <laughs> Yam souffle, the sweet potato souffle that we talked about last week on the podcast. And now I told her
0: to email you, Marcus. No, I, no, I told no, you to email her, email yeah. you in time for Thanksgiving. And I know Jay, so you know you're you already don't prepping know What's right happening now.
1: Here. You see, since you're not a chef, you don't know what's happening. I got flooded with <laughs> DMs. Like, I have okay. chefs, my friend, uh, my chef friend Mark Murphy is like, Yam mm. souffle. Out of all those 45 minutes, he's like, Damn, it's got to try sweet potato souffle now. So your mom is creating a <laughs> hit over here. So my DM I is flooded yeah. with other people like, sweet potato souffle. What's up? Give me the recipe. Yeah. So yeah. Elaine is about yeah. to blow up yeah. in the U.S.
0: I love and- it. I love it. I love it. Okay, <laughs> it. I'm, I'm going to
2: pass onto that. that
0: on to her. I'm
2: going to put my son onto that. I'll have him make yeah. that.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: But can you tell us, Xavier, about the accident, like your arm and so on? And just tell to exactly, walk us through because, that. Uh,
0: yeah, because I think we actually, you know, Marcus was in a car accident. Your, yep. Your, your your friend passed away. I was mm-hmm. in a car accident in 2004. Like mm-hmm. we spoke about the first time we met Xavier, where my the friend who was driving the car passed away. Tell us a bit about your accident. Oh, man, I'm sorry to hear that. And, man, we're
2: just like, mm-hmm. we've got to trade our own tribe, y'all. <laughs> it's like. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot <laughs> of intersections We got too much in common. Right <laughs> Too much in common. Um, mm. Does everybody have kids here? Yeah, I know. You, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, right on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I was like in LA on my record deal, unhappy at the peak of my narcissism. I'm not. I call myself a recovering narcissist now. And you know, I'm driving, picking up women, doing what I'm doing. Not doing drugs. Never did drugs. Sold drugs. Didn't do them. Um, I pick up this beautiful woman and to go. I'm like, yes. I'm like thinking to myself, man, I'm so good at this. I remember thinking about that. And then I woke up three weeks later and I had a beard Wow. and I was in ICU and I had been intubated. I didn't know why my throat was so sore. And they were like, yeah, you've been intubated. And I'm like, what happened? And uh, yeah, a car hit me, flipped me over three lanes of traffic, threw me out of the car. And the first thing I said was, hey, my hand okay? And as I showed y'all, that's what's left in my hand. I can't move it. But I still managed to play, so it was a. It took me a year to recover, to walk again, to, you know, talk again. I couldn't wipe my own ass. People were wiping, literally wiping my ass for me. I was telling my eleven-year-old that the other day. He's like, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah, it was.
0: It was brutal." Wow. Where and how? How do you come back from something like that? Yes. Like, what, did you feel like? Why didn't I just die? Or did you feel like, all right, I'm gonna. I'm going to do this. I'm climbing this mountain, too.
2: Man, I've always been positive. I don't know why I'm so positive. I was like, all right, let's start rehabilitating in the bed. I'd be moving my toes. And I was just like, let's a challenge. Let's fight it. I've always been that way. And um, I only think about what can be
0: done. I never think about what can't be done. Always been that way. And so it. In that, in this, in this space, in this crisis that you were thrown into, yes. this accident is that when Fantastic Negrito is born? No way, not at all. No. When that, what
2: happened okay. then? I'm laying in the hospital. And I remember someone comes from the record label and said, "We know, we just, you know, you've been dropped from the record label," and I felt so happy that guy. So then, then I went into this other life. And i like found the Afro punk scene and I started opening up illegal nightclubs. They were amazing because there was such a great rich culture in Los Angeles at that time in South Central, in the hood, yeah. Crips, yeah. Mexicans, all that. We had the club. They'd be like, they come by. I'd be like, if y'all want to come in, you got to put the guns down. We put all the guns in the cabinet. You come in, yeah. you party like everybody else. Cops were coming in, sheriffs coming in, Beautiful. sparking up. Like, man, this is how'd you get these white people down here? I'd see Alicia Silverstone, Mike Tyson, everybody. Eric Benet sitting on the man. People used. To what come. did you
1: call it? What was the name of the club?
2: I called it um, Bingo. <laughs> I love it, man. And, and my wow, name back man. then, yeah.
1: I called myself
2: Mr. 1AM. Yes. That was
1: my name in L.A., Mr. 1AM. Listen AM. to me. Listen to me. We share so many things. So, illegal clubs, right? Illegal yeah. clubs got me to go to Japan and do all my traveling. So, so What? My friends right, were a little bit right. older than me. I worked in restaurants. But in order to get real money... Yes, I knew this place that was the Nigerians owned, and I knew them. And I was only like seventeen or eighteen, and it's like, "Will we give you the? We'll give you the bad night." And it was Thursday night, so me and my friends we started a club called Summer Funk. And where was it? In Gothenburg, and it was actually in the basement of where my father's office was. So I'm like, you know, it's on the, you know, he's up there, but it was different hours of the day. So I knew if we were out here by six o'clock, and he came to work at seven thirty, I was good right? So we had the basement <laughs> outside my father's office but we didn't need a lot and I had you know, I knew the DJs uh, our first artist was actually the Swedish rapper Leila Kay, she was the first artist that my sister booked and we were packing them in and my, we were three friends my friends, they took the money and party, I saved my money and that's how I was able to go on my food internships all over Europe, so illegal t- shout out to Illegal, illegal clubs, clubs. Yeah. yes. Man, it's a, and I had a cook. We had food. I had a Caribbean
2: chef on the roof. He climbed into the roof and he got Caribbean food. Somehow, I
1: feel like yours was a little bit more posh and cooler than mine. Me, mine was in Gotham, I didn't have no Caribbean <laughs> chef on the roof. You know, it's L.A. It
2: was L.A. So everybody's out there. Yeah, we had. It was it was pretty sick, man. We had a hot tub on the roof overlooking downtown. What? It was sick.
1: And how did you get busted? Days? When did you get, like, tell me the run was for a year and how did you get no, busted? No, I mean, I want to say this. Up? I had a
2: run on Pico in LA. Yeah. I got arrested there. So everybody went to jail. <laughs> but you know, it's funny. I went there and the, the police was like, it was, I guess, the DA. He just kept looking at me like, you, you did what? Like, and he was like, he, I, I swear I'm not lying. He gave me my liquor back, he gave me my money back. <laughs> And he just kept shaking his head. He goes, man, he said, I hope I don't see you again. But it's like, it just sounds crazy what you're doing. So I moved to South Central where all the people are. And so when I was amongst them, those police were different. They're pulling up. The the police literally said this to me. How did you get these white people down here? That's what they wanted to figure out. Cause I, yeah. cause I had everybody. It was mixed. It was everybody was coming. Crips. Yeah, but Mexican. that you so
1: much. That's pretty narrow. I mean, yeah. you you're creating a scene, and they just want to wonder about that. That's pretty. Well, you know, you know, how that, you know on, how that now. is. You know how that is. I know like, what I'm that interested mean. about the jam that you created. What music were you playing? <laughs> were you burning? You know, were you like doing like fish burn or or, or like what what type of co- you know band were you playing? You know, well, the thing is, I cared about all that. They didn't.
2: I just cared that, that they would keep me open. Because that's what they, mm-hmm. they were. And they'd come after hours and do drugs and smoke weed. i watch with my eyes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And even female sheriffs. So, yeah, that scene was crazy. Where I would do this. On the same night, I'd have jazz and punk bands. Wow.
0: It was yeah. very eclectic.
2: Hip-hop artists. Mm-hmm. Everybody, come as you are and enjoy it. It was beautiful. I'd open at midnight close at 6 a.m. like you and this. Some of it's on Same the-
1: hours. Same hours. Same
2: hours.
0: <laughs> <laughs> See? Bingo and summer funk, man. I love it. And <laughs> hey, what about,
2: the- we got to do the reunion. Yes, yes, yes,
0: yes. And hey, we have uh, some- but but, but but to me, who's, you know, my dad is a New Yorker, my mom is from the East Coast, you know, my, you know, I they take me to to the States every summer growing up. But my, you know, so I'm mostly familiar with New York City. I've been to L.A., I've been to San Francisco a bunch of times now, but there's a different openness. And even I noticed it in, of course, in hip hop music since way back when the music from the from the West Coast always sounded very different, was more open to live instrumentation, even in the 90s when when hip hop the, on the East Coast was very orthodox. Like, what is it about the, the West Coast that you... You know, just like you're describing the scene at Bingo with Mexicans, Crips, the sheriffs and the Hollywood stars coming through and you're playing jazz bands and punk bands. Like, it feels like that wouldn't really be possible on the East Coast. Am I right? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I when I was doing Afro
2: punk, that was mostly, I would have to go to mm. New York. So that was, mm, mm, I don't know. Mm. I mean, I look at my dad. Maybe in
0: Brooklyn. Maybe in Brooklyn or in Harlem. It but, was a yeah. weird
2: place like Lower East Side. But this is like... Yeah early 2000s like brooklyn a way different new york by the way and uh, yeah. but i remember playing in new york in the 90s too a way different new york but i think that in, on the west coast the weather it has to be the weather it's more mm-hmm. uh, it's more forgiving for you
1: can't try some shit when it's gonna snow we just got a little short Man. time left so i wanted to ask you a couple of things when did you say hey i gotta make my comeback like i took a five mm. years grape break, break i threw out i sold my music but it was clearly something inside of you said, you know what, Xavier, I am a musician. I am music. What made you do the big comeback? And, and uh, when did that happen? Give me the year and why. Well, a, a great teacher helped me. A
2: great, 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 wise teacher. And that was my nine-month-old son. Mm-hmm. I was at home with him alone, which was terrifying back then. He was very sad. He was I'm like, what's wrong with this kid? I make my daddy face. Usually he'd be happy. Wasn't happy that day. And this is the guy that's the cook now. And he, um, mm-hmm. I remember I looked around, there was an old guitar underneath a couch, that same couch right there. I keep that couch in my studio. Mm-hmm. A little orange couch. And I saw this old guitar. I couldn't sell it because it was a piece of junk. I picked it up. And I strummed the out-of-tune G major. And his face did like this. And it lit up. <laughs> and I was like, what? And I thought, mm, music. beautiful." I didn't think I was going to come back, but I knew... I was going to start playing again because I thought, here is the greatest language ever, sound. Mm-hmm. And I'm being taught by a nine-month-old baby or 11 month
0: mm-hmm. Vibrations. Yeah. vibration. Yeah. That's so beautiful. No, I, 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 uh, I remember sitting in my dad's living room. I was 15 and, uh, or 14, actually. And I was frustrated because I always liked the subject of history in school, but I was frustrated because they never taught us anything about Africa. Like in our history book, the history of Africa started when white people got there, when the Portuguese and the Spanish first colonized it. And you had the African map and you had arrows going to South America, North America and Europe saying slaves, gold, ivory, And I'm sitting in my dad's living room one day and I open an Ebony magazine and there's an article about the great kings of West Africa. And I read this article about an emperor named Mansa Musa uh, in medieval times 800 years ago who had this vast empire of Mali. And the key city in this empire was Timbuktu. And it was a city of learning and it had many libraries and scholars. And I was just like amazed that I felt like I knew it. I knew that there was something that things were going on in Africa before white people got there and look how amazing it was. So that's how I chose, you know, my name, Timbuktu. I figured, you know, this is a place of of black and African pride. This is a name I want to carry. Also, I thought it sounded cool. Uh, How how Xavier, when you, after having strummed that out of tune G major for your son, how did you land on fantastic negrito well it took a couple years
2: and i was listening to you know skip james robert johnson no blind Mm -hmm. lemon i was listening blind willie johnson mississippi burnside yeah R. L. burnside (laughs) happy it was his birthday yesterday i was listening to all that
0: on your Insta. yeah
2: yeah i was listening to that and i thought what is this music that's influenced the world that's made all these people rich Why is Mississippi the poorest state in the union when it's made everybody rich? And I thought black roots music, fantastic Negrito. I thought it has got nothing to do with me. Fantastic Negrito has to do with where my roots are, my African roots and the whole diaspora, whether they were from my mother's side, they derivative of slaves from my or enslaved people, as we say. My father's side, which was African and Caribbean. It's like, man, this is Black Roots music, and it is global, and it is, it's is—it's rock, it's funk, it's soul, it's rhythm, it's blues, it's alligator mm-hmm. shoes, it's hip-hop, it's hand claps, stomps, it's church, thats it's <laughs> yes. all that. Yes. And so that's what yes. I thought. Man, when people yes. ask me about Fantastic Negrito, I'm, I can give respect to my ancestors, that's all.
1: Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And he come through. And we applaud you and me and Jason. We're going to root for you at the Grammys. We're so proud of you. Thank you for being an inspiration. But I'm
2: nothing without the village that raised me, without the people that I support, without the backs that I stand on. I'm nothing without the, the people are my record
0: company. And I'm, that's who I answer to. Once I, this virus is passed yes. by, you know, we want to welcome you back to Sweden and to Harlem. Well, let's do a track, too. I'm working working with all Yeah, and let's do a track. Yeah, I'll send some stuff because I'm working on all kinds of stuff right now. Yeah,
1: you have a club in Ginny's that you can do it anytime you want, man. Anytime. Fantastic Negrito meets Timothee.
0: Marcus has a dope club on 125th and Lennox that you're going to love, Xavier.
1: Well, man, I'm very
0: grateful. And this was a
2: special day for us. Adu is so excited. She loves y'all. She's actually Eritrean. So she's just like going crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Thank yeah, you. Right. you lost your mind, yeah. Get free
0: Do yourself a favor. You don't want this year to pass without having checked out Fantastic Negrito's Grammy-nominated album, Have You Lost Your Mind Yet?